Hello and welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. My name is Sammy Roberts and I'm joined today by Phil Savage. Top Senior. We're here to talk about PC games for the second week in a row. See, we did just vanish again for three more months, which would have been bad form. Um, thank you very much for those uh, people who listened last week. I have no idea how many of them you were, but I saw we were fairly high in the iTunes charts, which, which really? would suggest a few. Nice. Thank yes. You. We beat some of the podcasts I don't like, which made me very happy. I won't say what they are. Name is shame. <laughs> God, it's question time. <laughs> this isn't the place to, you know, to, to begin beef, I feel. Oh, I think it is. Uh, you think so? Okay, yeah. In I mean, time. Yeah. We'll work, we'll work up to it. I yeah, I, I want to point out like the, the setup of the studio right now makes it look like I'm having an interview. Yeah, It does a bit, yeah. It's, uh, I'm also sort of like wedged between a table. It's it's a very strange setup, but I mean, they can't see it, so it's That's fine. true. Yes. Um, but yeah, I won't begin any beef on this podcast simply because I think there's nothing more embarrassing than a games industry feud. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just get straight to the games in that case. Right. Um, and we'll start with Tom Senior, Hello. who has played Assassin's Creed Origins I for have. several hours. I have. I played it for about four and a bit hours. Unfortunately, it was, just, it was the Xbox version, not the PC version, because uh, that's how these preview events pan out sometimes. Pretty much all of them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Um, so yeah, it was four hours in a kind of northeastern chunk of ancient Egypt, which is where Assassin's Creed Origins is set. Um, and you play the first assassin ever in history. <laughs> That's uh, not true. There are lots of assassins in history. But the first to kind of establish Assassin's Creed's ongoing assassin's order that makes no sense. Yeah, They're mm-hmm. all like uh, about liberty and everything is permitted. Then they have incredibly intense rules about what you can and can't do. Like, they just don't make sense. Yeah, the, game lit- the first game in the series literally starts with you being told off for doing a thing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like you, everything is permitted, but stop it. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that that sweet, uh, Origins is uh, a bit of a shift for the series because they've taken two years out to, I don't know, change it. Everyone was bored a bit. The last few games were a bit janky and not like terribly well-reviewed. Um, what was the last one? It Syndicate. was the, Syndicate. Syndicate. the London one, yeah. It's the London one, which is um, Andy Kelly quite liked, but I don't think like it wasn't. Yeah, a... I think it was the backlash to Unity that um, made them go back to yeah. Discord. Yeah, really Syndicate cool. seems to sort of recover a bit, but I think everyone was just so burnt out. Like mm. I haven't played one since Black Flag because there's just so much there. Yeah, yeah, Black Flag's the last one to meaningfully shake up the template and introduce something really new, which is the sailing element. Um, I reviewed Black Flag and gave it like ninety. I absolutely loved it, even though the story is not very good. I think it, like there still isn't a sailing fighting game that's as exciting as Assassin's Creed 4. Yeah, the setting was just cool. And yeah, the, for sure. The, the, you know, the, the sailing stuff was just really cool. and like uh, yeah, You got to be a Ubisoft QA tester. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was unbridled good. fantasy. of. <laughs> oh, I just what I've always dreamed of, being in an all-glass office um, with my boss having a soul patch or whatever it was. Um, but you, no, I... Um, you played it as Kenway, yeah. and he was really exciting. He had a sense of humour, a bit like Exio did. It was it was more of a kind of adventure romp. I think Assassin's mm. Creed is always at its best when it's doing that. Yeah. Um, conversely, now... Now, Assassin's Creed Origins is a very serious game about um, people oppressing the Egyptian populace horribly. Like the proto Templars are basically just making everyone's life misery, uh, murdering their families, burning their villages down, and stuff. Uh, and the reason you know all this in detail is because you have to solve all their problems for them, pretty much in Assassin's Creed Origins, because uh, it's been rejigged as an RPG now. So you le- you earn experience for doing quests and for killing stuff, and you level up. And when you take on missions, the missions have level parameters, level recommendations. That's weird. Uh, and if the mission is like a couple of levels higher than you, if you do it, you'll be fighting higher level enemies. And you can barely damage higher level enemies if they're like two or three levels above you. So essentially, it's a big old gating system. You have to be doing lots of side quests and you have to be crafting to get the good armor. You have to be finding the good items to make sure you're well equipped and make sure you're leveled up in order to do the next story quest. So when you stab a person in the heart with your 
wrist knives, they don't die because they're higher level than you. That's just like what yes. real assassins have to deal with, <laughs> <laughs> which is a problem. And in fact, like people can be high enough level that you can't even assassinate them. You know how you can jump out the bushes and assassinate them. You could do it to most people, but if mm. you try and do it to a really high level enemy, it just doesn't work. Didn't you say that there are high level hippos also? Dying? Yeah, the animals are also <laughs> leveled. <laughs> level. So um, I opened that preview with an anecdote about fighting a hippo, and it take it took like thirty hits to kill it. Yeah. Which, is, which is, I mean, what am I even doing fighting a hippo in Assassin's Creed anyway? It would I don't probably know. take me 30 hits. <laughs> it's fair, they're very tough animals. Uh, they're very tough animals. And, and you're equipped to kill humans with a tiny wrist dagger, which is, is not going to be that effective against a hippo. So maybe it was very realistic. Um, but uh, yeah, I got involved in a very strange kind of three-way fight between me, a hippo, and a, ri- a river crocodile. Yeah. Uh, and I needed to do this because I needed to pick up some peasant bodies from the water and return them to their crying relatives on the shore. Um, Classic I, fetch quest <laughs> Vintage Vintage fetch quest uh, And the most miserable fetch quest you can hope to do really in any game And it, actually I found it like playing for four hours I felt kind of quite weirdly ground down by it Because you know the next person I t- spoke to They were like uh, They were also surrounded by hippos And they were trapped on a branch And you know they couldn't get down So we had to help her kill the hippos um, then we looted the hippos then she went back to the village but her village had been burned down and uh, all her family were just strung up jeez <laughs> I know it's, it's life just, was tough in it's, 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 it was apparently very <laughs> tough and now you're going to have to deal with lots of that stuff uh, uh, but it's interspersed with um main mission quests which are much more like old you know classic assassin's creed missions where there's a, a person in a big sort of complex and you have to go and kill them and then they have a big kind of melodramatic cutscene, uh, and that that stuff's still really fun it's just spaced out by all this other kind of busy work what's weird about that is that i've always thought of assassin's creed as being dry but never really dour so it's, mm. it's strange that's a that's an interesting total choice i wonder why they went for that yeah i think it's because they're basically very keen to emulate the witcher 3 and they've tried to emulate The Witcher 3's tone in some ways because The Witcher 3 is all about you know beleaguered peasants who have just miserable lives, and you you wander through and you charge them to help them, and you know, but that's so built into The Witcher 3 as a universe, like it's backed up by all that kind of gothic fantasy and all the hmm. kind of fantasy it trades off of a Euro- European fantasy. Whereas Assassin's Creed has always been like quite silly historical fiction with like serious moments. Bill and, and Ted with daggers. Yeah, pretty much. You know. Where it's got like... the occasional serious but actual problem, but then you fist fight the Pope. Yeah, you do, yes, and yes. resolve it, and it's fine. Or, or your your best mates with Leonardo da Vinci, mm. and he makes you cool weapons and stuff. Yeah, he makes and, you grenades because why not? And you, a bit where you go around in his tank. So what about yeah. this one for historical figures? Do you high five Cleopatra, or you know? Uh, you don't high five her. She's in it, uh, and uh, Julius Caesar's in it. Ptolemy's in it. There's gonna, so there's going to be lots of kind of kings and queens interacting from both Egypt and the Roman Empire. And they, and they were all fucking mad, weren't they, back then? Was Caesar just mad as hell? Like, uh, I mean, mad as hell, he's not going to take it anymore. <laughs> go over to that country and conquer it. I'm going to go over to that country and conquer it. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting historical perspective. One, was everyone mad as hell in that time? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I'm basing this, but, this largely on HBO's Rome. Yeah, uh, yeah. Caesar if, was a bit mad. If that's so the was good uh, but then I wish it was a bit more like HBO's Rome, actually, which was like a very violent and quite, you know sort of serious on the surface level, but actually deeply silly and oh, ex- yeah. exciting adventure uh, adventure show. Yeah, and which is always what Assassin's Creed in its best moments is to me. I, I feel like Origins has strayed a little bit away from that in in the four hour chunk I've played. Maybe mm. it goes mad as hell uh, <laughs> in a few quests time. Yeah, I did all my research there to uh, to come up with that statement. <laughs> 
Um, I went to, uh, did I mention that in the last podcast I'd been to Rome and I just mentioned Assassin's Creed as I was walking around like the Vatican and most of the places. I was mm. there thinking, I was there in Pope Alexander the Sixth apartment or wherever it is in the Vatican Museum and thought, is this where I had a fist fight with the Pope? <laughs> and uh, yes. Yeah, I wandered around the Colosseum a few months ago when I was went to Rome looking for hay bales, but mostly it was just people <laughs> trying to sell me selfie sticks. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so sorry to get us off topic there, Tom. But, no, it's all right. That's leads me to, uh, reminded me to talk about the educational mode they're going to put into Assassin's Creed origins oh yeah uh, so it's going to be a non-combat uh mode where called discovery tour where you activate like 20 minute tours as caesar or as the main character and you get a kind of fully voiced little tour of the you know the areas saying oh this is what the giza pyramids are all about here's a man being ritually eviscerated and what that was all about um so it's, it's, here it's is a high level like. hippo <laughs> it's a high level hippo <laughs> that Caesar famously fought uh, to impress Cleopatra. But only once he'd ground up the relevant XP. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's, uh, here's Cleopatra sinking uh, at the top of a tower with her surroundings in order to better... Here's Cleopatra draw. coming at you. <laughs> uh, so hopefully there's all hijinks. Here's the eagle that were renowned for being binoculars throughout the <laughs> ancient world. <laughs> That I really like the eagle binocular thing, actually, uh, because it's stupid, partially, mm. but because it, it's basically a UI element. It's just a way of, you know, taking um, sort of icons and all the crap that Assassin's Creed games usually put on your screen and just letting you kind of just live it instead. And so you can put marks on things, but it's much more fun to pop up and be a binocular eagle and, you know, hover in time to get a better look at stuff and mark, mm. you know targets you want to assassinate a bit like zelda when you're at those towers i guess mm. um and not that they you know borrowed the idea or anything but like it's you know it's just a different way of doing the icon thing isn't it yeah uh, and a more interactive way and it gives you a lovely view of egypt which looks amazing and like, yeah the draw distance is amazing when i saw it e3 like, yeah it's uh, extraordinary really yeah, that must be like that must take some real grunt to uh to do that yeah they must have upgraded their engine significantly to do those kind of wide expanses um i mean the the biomes are, are, are like really impressively varied as well like obviously there are deserts and stuff and they're beautiful but you've got swamps and you've got like um more built-up areas near the nile and green areas as well so it's gonna look and sound amazing as assassin creed games always do um, i just worry about the structure of it really interesting how about the um the combat we haven't talked too much about that like uh, yeah they've re- they revamped that quite a lot and i had mixed thoughts on it when i played it at uh, e3 i agree with your preview you say that you um you mm. say that it needed to change and i agree with that but i wasn't like entirely convinced they'd they'd come up with a better result but i think you've maybe it's been refined since then but how did you find it yeah i completely agree uh, so they've they've moved away from a kind of just counter system like the arkham games they've moved towards i guess everyone says dark souls is the easiest touch souls for this thing uh touchstone for this thing but it's, it's that you lock onto an enemy you dodge around them then you hit them in, in between strikes and you've also got a shield break maneuver and you can parry with your shield so it's very dark soulsy um but there's a lot of kind of artistry and technique goes into getting those combat systems to feel right and to feel responsive and as though you're fully in control of your actions and um i don't think origins is there like at all it doesn't feel like a great combat game by any stretch Mm. um and it never did but um and i'm glad they've tried to make something out of it actually try to make combat an aspect of the game you have to think about and you do have to think about it because enemies can overwhelm you especially if they're high level they'll swarm and attack you so you're encouraged to pick them off one by one which is very assassiny thing to do and your weapons uh, largely change how effective you are at defeating certain enemies, um, and they they behave quite differently. It just doesn't feel good, and um, just to hit things doesn't feel good. Mm. Uh, you know, it's that moment of impact, the kind of stringing blows together doesn't feel like you're sort of defeating someone so much as kind of slapping uh, a mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> couple of, couple of years, they might they might really nail that combat yeah, system, like a, like all Assassin's Creed, I guess. Like it's mm. just a 
it's iterative and so you know you might eventually end up with an assassin's creed 2 that level of game where mm. it all kind of comes together a bit better yeah it's, it, it looks very much like assassin's creed and kind of you're still jumping off tall things and thinking with stuff but there is under the hood like quite a fundamental shift in what the game's trying to be mm. and maybe it is it does feel perhaps like an interim that you know future assassin's creeds will get this formula down better and fair play for actually trying to do something new and different yeah like the rpg thing i mean obviously that's very gamey and, and mm. allows us to say silly things like high level hippo <laughs> but um you know it's it's something different and that they are that series needed to move in a new direction no matter what so yeah it's, yeah. it's totally templated out before like if you've played an assassin you, you weren't getting any new mission types you weren't getting any new kind of types of character or types of weapon it, it'd been the same game for a long time actually since four probably so it's, it's eagerly in need of a refresh uh, this might disappoint a few people, I think. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil, you've been playing a game that uh, hasn't disappointed anyone by the looks of it. It's Divinity Original Sin 2. Yeah, it's um, really set the PC world alight. Yes. Uh, if you want um, incredibly dense, complicated RPGs, and this is that one and, for you. And people do. It's interesting because you see something like um, Tyranny came out last year. And you know, by some accounts, is a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, that's um, true. And uh, and yet, this I think sold something like five hundred thousand either on day one or week one or something mm. like that. But a huge hit. I mean, obviously, it was kickstarted, and it had um, its predecessor was popular too. A very popular kind of like uh, co-op option RPG with yeah. funny dialogue and interesting, meaningful ways to shape your characters. And it seems like they've really expanded on that and refined it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's um, slightly different. Like. I th- I didn't play much of Divinity Original Sin 1 and like one of the reasons I've started on 2 is that you don't need to have like they don't follow on particularly I think they're set in the same world but there's like hundreds of years apart or whatever mm. um, but like this, there, there was like what I did play of Original Sin 1 had this central thing where your two main characters that you created would like have arguments with each other and you could like either do that as a co-op thing or you could take part in both sides of an argument with yourself essentially which was quite cool that's not really what's going on in um, Original Sin 2 it's like you create one character and um, that can either be from a set of specific origin people they've created that you know have a bit more dialogue options and stuff to them because they are people with a very specific history or you know just one of the template races and stuff um and then you meet just traditional rpg companions about the place that you can recruit and uh, for parties of up to four people Mm. um it's as far as i can tell massive almost kind of almost like distractingly so i've been playing it for about 10 hours and i'm yet to leave the first island everyone's uh, been saying that haven't they i'm still mm. in the fortress or whatever it is yeah and like uh, and <laughs> still that, there that first act just seems to take ages to unravel and can be played in a bunch of different ways mm. you played it at all yet tom yeah i've played about um seven or eight hours of it and the same as phil i'm stuck on that first island because there's just a crazy amount of people to talk to and talk to people is really interesting in the game like the characters are so vivid and weird um mm. and the, the writing's not like super amazing but it's a really fun world is so, it yeah it's um like there the are little edges of where, where it's a bit messy you know the, the dialogue is i think the dialogue is kind of it's got a, a b-movie level to it that's actually quite fun to yeah. be in it's like it, it's a world that has serious moments and you know uh bleak things happen to people but at the same time there's quite a kind of a campy adventure vibe to it as well that keeps it quite fun and keeps you sort of pushing forward um a lot of 
interesting design already within that first island, like different little puzzle rooms or um, kind of just weird encounters that you don't expect from. I think I think one of the things with that kind of isometric style RPG, that top down kind of style, is you almost think you know what to expect going into one. Like if you've played a Baldur's Gate or a Pillars of Eternity or whatever, there's almost like a set of expectations that come with that. And Original Sin Team Two seems quite good at trying to subvert them a bit like it almost feels like an adventure game at times where primarily you're going to do a lot of talking as well as fighting stuff Mm. um admittedly i am playing it on the easiest possible mode because if i can spend if i've got to spend like 10 hours on the first island i'm not going to then want to hit a difficulty spike or something like that that just kind of gets in my way of enjoying the actual adventure given how much of it there is yeah, yeah fair enough so um how are you finding the combat in that with with that setting in mind um like it's still like it's fine like on it's they call it exploration mode where, and then the point is like oh it's all about you know story and exploration and you know finding your way through the world or whatever and not so much about combat the combat is still tough at times Good. like there's a couple of fights i've found that have kicked my ass and but i think when that happens it's more a case of yeah you're just not prepared for that yet or you're not got like the right equipment or it is it's more like a soft gate than it is hmm. um particularly just because there is like a weird difficulty spike or anything and it's like all right these enemies i'm clearly not ready to tangle with yet and that's fair enough like, that sounds like a reasonably good uh, mm. well-balanced um difficulty obviously there's a bit, lot, been a lot of tedious discourse about uh uh difficulty settings oh yeah on the internet not again uh, <laughs> tedious discourse on the internet <laughs> what is this but I, i've been playing uh, i talked about this last week i've been playing XCOM on easy settings and like um you still lose people in that and it's still hard but it's mm. not so hard that you have to repeat a 10-hour campaign from scratch. And, like, I don't mind that too much. I think that's an okay way of doing a difficulty setting. Mm. Like, you can still fail, but you won't, you know, the chances go down a little bit. That's fine, yeah. I think. I, I, I don't mind, I, even if it was completely trivial in this, I don't think I'd mind too much. Like, mm. I, what I've come to realise is I don't play RPGs for their difficulty because I don't think many of them have great combat systems anyway. Yeah, and, you know, there are things about, like forging relationships with companions and finding out what's in the world and like deciding how you want to solve quests rather than whether you can solve a quest i think is the important thing um so yeah like being challenged within combat especially if it's not i think this is a it has a lot of it's turn-based has a lot of tactical options especially around i mean divinity's big thing is um like liquid effects and various status effects and whether there's poison clouds or whether there's fire on the ground or whether there's water which you can electrify or blood which you can electrify or any number of things that can um, unseat you like that but it does mean yeah the times I've things have gone wrong it's because I've walked into like a choke point and uh, you know the battle has started and about three enemies have a turn before one of my characters does and they're just like right well you all get this status effect and then you all get this status effect and then you're kind of screwed right. pretty much straight away um Interesting. It would be interesting to see how it was on normal when, like, apparently it does get very difficult at times. Like, there's the thing I've heard some people say. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I'm but... on normal, so that's not good news. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm playing as a skeleton, and um, so if people try to poison me, it actually heals me, which is nice. Mm. And also, I've got uh, the perks are really fun. Uh, so, my perk is if I stand in blood 
I just re- suck it into me and regain health. So uh, I go into close combat with two axes and make someone bleed, and then just sort of stand in there, <laughs> blood healing up, which is which is good. psychotic but good. Mm. That's cool. Well, that's a nice yeah. way of tying, like uh, I guess, like your character's sort of type uh, to the game systems, right? That's yeah, a, that's it's a good. Cool that. little, cool it's, little fusion. It's very clear about how effects work, even though it gets slightly chaotic in combat situations. Like it tells you, like you know. Who's poisoned? How, where the poison's going? Kind of uh, all the skills. If they put out fires, it'll tell you that. Mm. So I've got a big kind of overhand smash that puts out fire. So um, I've got like an enormous firebomb, so I can set everyone on fire, and it often it sets my own dudes on fire. But then I can whack my own dudes to put the fire out, and then they, they get to live. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's um, divinity. Like my main character is basically a wizard, and the most useful spell is just a rain cloud. <laughs> that puts fire out. Mm. So it doesn't do any game. damage, but it will put a fire out when I'm on fire. And also, it will make ev- all the enemies and everybody get the wet status because they've been rained on. At which point, you can electrocute them. And cool. Uh, yeah, there's, it's really it is quite fun. Like you get figuring out the spell combinations, things like that. Cheers. Um, has got a similar feel to uh, Dragon Age Origins. Had a similar sort of thing where mm. you combat comboing different spells, but this like pushes even more into the importance of the environment itself and what's around you in each encounter. Oh, cool. Mm. Yeah, I suppose Dragon Age doesn't have loads of that, just traps. And yeah, it's really. that was more, yeah, there were traps, but also, you know, if you had a couple of wizards, you had a few options for comboing yeah. different spells and mixing them together and stuff. Cool. Well, it's, it seems like you've got something more to add, Tom. Oh, nothing important, but I was going to say that... <laughs> it's it, a podcast, nothing's important. That's true, yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna, it's all uh, frivolous. <laughs> if you're going to go for the... the sucking in people's blood thing um, the the method of killing is very important so if you electrocute someone to death they don't necessarily bleed yes. so you, you gear up your party around making people bleed as much as possible so to heal your main guy because I've got a really sadistic setup going on it's, uh, it's very it's fun yeah. See, that's not pointless. That's good information. It's good advice. Uh, yeah, mm. Absolutely. Um, well, it's definitely uh, one of the only real Game of the Year candidates around, isn't it? I mean, it seems in mm. this season so far. Yeah, I guess so. Like, that's an, It's going to be an interesting conversation when we all come to have it. Like, yeah. what really has there been this year? So, in terms of, I think there's been a lot of things we'd put in the high 70s, low 80s category. Yeah, loads of those, your praise and the like. Mm, um, yeah, which, then... you know, good games, but games that didn't, like, aren't universally great at what they do. Yeah, whereas, like, when it comes to the games that scored 90+, plus, I mean, off the top of my head, there's Resi 7, which I definitely wouldn't put as game of the year, personally. Mm. I, was, I was a bit let down by that one, actually, towards the end. Um, and then there's Edith Finch, I think we gave over 90 as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's this. Um, and there's Total War, Warhammer yeah. 2. Which brings me <laughs> neatly on to the next game what we were going to talk <laughs> about. I was actually going to talk about something else next, but we were also going to talk about that. So, Tom, you re- uh, you didn't review this for us, but you played a hell of a lot of it. Yes. Um, and what I found interesting was that... Um, so this this sequel obviously adds uh, four new races, is that right? Um, mm. Including the Lizardmen, High Elves, is that right? Yep, High Elves, High Elves Dark Elves, and Skaven. Yes. Which is a good range of. I mean, they're getting closest to completing the uh, the set essentially. Yeah, one yeah. of them got left. Um, Some weird ones. Yeah, mm. and then uh, and so basically, you, I, well, what I found interesting is when we were talking about it, um, and I was said I said that with Warhammer One, I got about halfway through a dwarf campaign. You told me that it was worth starting with a Warhammer Two campaign because it's just a more refined game. It's a better game. Um, why is that? Uh, I think it's just that the factions are more interesting anyway and they're more clearly explained the whole game is just more clearly explained like it's all tooltipped up and stuff 
and the kind of the starting scenarios, the suggested starting scenarios are, um, are very clear. The thing that Total War Warhammer does is it puts you all on one continent pretty much. And there are, you know, the chaos to the north and there's dwarves in the middle and there's orcs to the left and there's, you know, some other dudes to the south. Whereas this is set on a series of islands. So you can kind of portion off your empire in a way and just kind of take things on in a more bite-sized way because you're not all just in this big mashup together. Uh, in the in the central campaign from relatively pretty much the start in Total War Warhammer 1. Mm. Um, also, the overall objectives of the campaign are more interesting. There's a giant kind of magical cyclone in the middle of the map, and four races, are, um, four factions are trying to do rituals to affect the cyclone and do stuff for their race. Um, and so you get this really fun uh, race across the map that, for me, is just more interesting than the, the, the typical Total War scenario, mm. which says, OK, go and conquer these three territories and they'll be scattered around it's like why <laughs> why are they important and you know just slowly spreading out and conquering territory is part of the fun but it, this gives you much more direction and lots more interesting ways to mess with people oh, okay and it must have a clear like end game objective as well because well yeah. almost every total war game kind of flags towards the end when Thanks it is out. just like you've mm-hmm. got a cool you've you've taken over 30 percent of the map can you take over 50 percent of the map i mean yeah. probably eventually but <laughs> interesting yeah so you've just got a way around that then yeah i, I think the uh, like the factions have just more interesting ways to mess with each other as well and they don't tend to grind to the hole in the same way i think which is partly down to map design um but also because like for example the skaven you corrupt areas and then if an area is more corrupted when you fight in it you get to pull up rats from underground anywhere on the, uh, the map in a fight so the stuff you're doing on the strategy layer is having a direct impact on the mm. stuff you can do in the battle layer, which is stuff that Total War's only like been variably good at. Mm. Uh, but they're much better at it in this. Um, there are black arcs, which are basically just floating cities that the uh, Dark Elves have. They can move across the map, and if you have a fight near one of them, you can bring in bombardments, artillery bombardments from off the map, because the black arc is like just flinging like magical uh, meteors down onto the battlefield. So is that the world map affecting battle maps mm. in, in more interesting ways, um, which is... Yeah, that's really good. It's, it's more like the XCOM has always been amazing at that, of the two layers kind of cycling into each other. So stuff you do in the strategy layer gives you cool toys in the battle layer, which lets you unlock more tools in the strategy layer. It's that, that loop uh, in, that XCOM does so well. It's more present in Total War Warhammer 2 than it has been in any previous one, I think. And it looks lovely as well, I think, if you're running on high settings. Mm, interesting. Cool. Uh, well, yeah, I, I'm probably I'm slightly more compelled to check it out on that basis. Yeah. The campaigns are a little easier to comprehend and jump into and they, 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 it's, a, it's a cool and weird selection of um, races in this one with the possible exception of the high elves who I'm not that bothered about but um, I hear they're very snooty um, yeah unsurprising <laughs> they're, they're literally called high elves I mean <laughs> you don't call yourself that unless you've got a pretty good high opinion of yourself like. yeah that's true it's kind of, it seems like um, the Skaven have a certain sort of cult appeal around them as well. Um, mm. I guess partly because of Vermintide, but also just generally, right? I mean, they seem to be yeah. the race everyone was excited about joining the game. I think in the in the hobby, like more and more widely, more widely, uh, fans of Warhammer have always loved the Skaven, even if they don't like collect them or you know they're just fun to read about. They're just this horde army that's also incredibly uh, you know backstabbing, you know subversive, and um, they will kill and eat anything. <laughs> Uh, which is which is a good trait to have in a Warhammer world. Yeah, yeah, cool. No, I look forward to uh, checking yeah. it out. It's going to be interesting in a few weeks when they release this like Mortal joint, thing. yeah, a joint map thing. Oh yeah, yeah gosh. that's going to be absurd. Yeah, they're gluing the map from Total War Warhammer Two onto the map in Total War Warhammer One, 
and I think maybe include all the races as well. Doesn't it tie them all together yeah. if you own both games? Yeah, every single one. Which is insane. <laughs> I can't wait to see how that works out. I mean, I assume they have some kind of scripted campaign to go along with that as well. They, yeah, it's definitely not going to be the Cyclone thing. It might just be a big free-for-all and mm. just kind of like take over. I mean, I can't imagine them structuring like a similar objective-led thing in such a huge map. How would but... you, yeah. That's interesting. So that's a cool, that's a cool extra though to add for mm, sure. Definitely. And uh, I guess they've got one part left. Is that right? Yeah, they've said they're doing a trilogy. Yeah, there's going to be a Warhammer three. Don't know what races or anything are left to, for them to add. Yeah, because presumably there will also be a bunch of new like mm. uh, campaigns and things added in DLCs. Total Warhammer two. I mean, yeah, they they like to do that sort of thing. Mm. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, they've already added like the Wood Elves and stuff in DLC for Total Warhammer one. So yeah, I wonder which factions will become major factions in Total Warhammer three. The Beastmen they added in one as well. Didn't yeah, they? yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. Well, mm. it's uh, it's cool to see it grow, and it's nice to hear they made enough refinements for it to, uh, yeah. I guess it's one of the best Total War games. I mean, in terms yeah, of it's how we be. reviewed them, it's certainly up there, isn't yeah. it? A great one to start with as well, I think. I think I think it explains itself so well that if you've ever wanted to try any Total War game, it's, it's either, either this or Shogun 2, pretty much your best starting points. Interesting. So you would recommend starting with this over Warhammer 1, then? Yeah, I think so, yeah. That's good to know. And then going back to Warhammer 1 if you enjoyed it, or...? Yeah, just though just I think bolting might... it into Warhammer Two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think plugging it into Warhammer Two is probably the best way to do it. I, th- I think I might miss a lot of the refinements that they've made if going back to Total War Warhammer One. Oh, mm. interesting. Uh, mm, okay. Yeah, looking forward to play more of it. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, I guess that uh, leaves me then. Which uh, I guess I've reintroduced this so badly. Wargroove. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Wargroove. Right. Um, it is a strategy game from Chucklefish, the makers of uh, Starbound. Uh, it's essentially uh, a spiritual successor to Advance Wars. I don't know if you guys played that much. I oh, yeah. did not. No. Okay, interesting. How about you, Tom? A uh, little bit. Uh, I borrowed a mate's um, DS, 3DS, was it? Yeah. Or Advance. Yeah, it was on DS and the, the GBA. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And then it's kind of kind of died to death in the years since then, really. But everyone always says these sort of games are, oh, they're like Advanced Wars. So what other sort of games are they like that people might have played? Let's <laughs> <laughs> think. I, um, it's got... Star- it, it's a turn-based strategy game, so it's, it's basically a simple version of that kind of game. Mm. Like... Um, it's a game of like there's a there's a battlefield you have a base they have a base and then in between there are all these settlements and if you control a settlement you get more gold coming in per turn so it's got loads in common with the likes of you know Civ or XCOM or pretty much anything turn-based that you know you have experience with it's it's a version of those for sure like it's definitely not you know a game type they pioneered mm. i suppose what, what they did was they created a very simple nintendo-y version of that that's fun to that's instantly fun to play and so every um there are different tiers of units going from like uh, knights up to golems, which are these giant things that storm around and can just twat a unit out of the way. Um, but everything has a counter, and that's the point. So mm. you, um, you, you let's say you start with a knight, you send the knight out, you grab a settlement, so more gold's coming in next turn. And then you, the next layer is an archer, so you build an archer and send those out. And the idea is you're just trying to take as many settlements as possible in the early game. And then it uh, kind of heats up as you're you're making choices about how to spend your big money on on the on the better units like knights and uh, you can also build flying units as well in some maps um, uh, you know like the, like wyverns and stuff and uh, yeah and you can everything has a counter but then it's a case of like do you have the money to to make that do you go after the gold and kind of play the long game because um, if you control enough bases for long enough you'll eventually starve the other player of resources even if you've only got one or two more settlements mm. in mm. your possession than them. Um, and what what's good about this is it's it's absolutely works as a competitive game. And Advance Wars, I, it does uh, the DS ones did have like some online functionality, but um, well, I, it's just 
I, it's just better to have it on a PC, isn't it? <laughs> Let's be honest. And playing the online games on Nintendo console, I just don't. Now I've never really found that experience to be particularly good. Um, some people might disagree with Advance Wars, but more more talking from my experience of Mario Kart, which I always found took ages to get a game, and then I'm pretty sure the console would just beep nonstop when you actually hit a game. <laughs> Nintendo and online are just weird. Um, but yeah, like uh, this, uh, you know, this got it's got mod support, so you can um, you can some players will just change out all of the factions instantly, mm. which is cool. You can build custom campaigns mm. uh, where you can add your own dialogue and um, branching paths if you want, um, and create these very cool sort of story scenarios. And the idea is that you would combine the mods with the uh, campaign customization, which they kind of borrowed a lot from StarCraft Brood War. Oh, right. Um, they've, they've basically gone for something identical to that yeah, cool. uh, in terms of like points you can put in when units arrive, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You can really set all of those parameters. Um, and so the idea is, yeah, that you'll have these quite complex and interesting mixtures of stuff that people will come up with. Um, and no doubt some, you know, deeply copyright infringing things that um, people will love. Um, but um, yeah, mods. <laughs> it, it works really well. Like, um, as is, uh, I, I would say that all of the base units uh, have counters and it's balanced quite effectively. And I had two, you know, quite competitive games and I won one and I lost another one. Um, and, you know, like there, there are kind of moments where a golem arrives on the field and it's that very tense thing of like, as soon as that arrives at my settlements, I'm, that's the end. So it's kind of a rush to kill it as quickly as possible. Mm. And then I, but I got my knight across the map, and um, unit. There's there's different things like positioning is important. So if you're behind a unit, you have a great. You you can do more damage. You can do like a critical hit. Mm. Some units have very specific um, bonuses, like uh, so. You're a pikeman, for example, or spearman. Spearman, pikeman sounds weird. I think it's Civ. Um, spearman. If you have um, two spearmen in a row together, they can both do uh, critical hits. So if they're next to each other, they'll just do more damage because mm. you know, the, the idea being that they're all stood in a line charging at you and. Uh, so that's cool. Um, they, that and that can be a, a you know that can make a real difference. Um, one spearman unit by itself not very good. Two together suddenly a very good wall for keeping people away from your side of the map. And um, likewise the knight, if the knight can move five tiles on the map, um, and so if you if you end on the last tile on the fifth tile and then attack a unit, you get a critical hit from that. Hmm. Um, and that's how I beat the golem. I essentially I just took down its health bar straight away because I landed a crit, and suddenly hmm. the game changed because. Um, Let's say, um, let's say, like a, a knight is a hundred gold and a golem is twelve hundred. So if you spend that, you've really got to mean it. Mm. And uh, you know, uh, my opponent had spent so much money on that 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 it suddenly the game just turned on a dime because of that one encounter. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, so it works really well as a competitive, a simple but competitive game. Um, and they've got these uh, leaders as well who are on the field with you. And if they die, you lose the game. And if your base goes, you lose the game too. But your leaders have certain powers, and that's the part they're still figuring out. Like. Um, mm. So one of them can like raise one's like a skeleton race, and one can like and they can like raise the dead. So you just bring a knight out of the ground and send them towards people, which is good because they can be used as like a, just a meat shield essentially to save your unit. Um, but they're not very powerful, so that while raising a knight is good in the early game, in the late game they're kind of pointless. Right. So they're still working out how do we balance that? Mm-hmm. Do, we let, do we let you raise more of them more often? I said, could you give them a slightly better unit to raise? Um, that sort of thing. Um, and then another unit could just heal all the units in its. Um, vicinity so they're trying to work out the balancing of those powers at the moment um but i would say the the, the basic uh, game as it is is it's in a very good shape actually and uh yeah a lot of fun i think it'll uh, it'll really do well that's right, a great good. local competitive game hmm. yeah that's right and the idea is it's meant to have uh is it asynchronous uh multiplayer so you can take a turn then go away for a few hours come back take a turn and oh yeah oh, cool. yeah they've uh, they're supporting that i'm pretty sure they told me that um so yeah it's uh yeah, it's cool. It's I think it will really take off. Like, I asked them about 
where there was a challenge to make this kind of game when your last game was nothing like this at all. You've never made a turn-based strategy game before. And they said it was, and they're not expecting to launch without having to balance it. But like, yeah. um, you know, they've it looks like they've really done their homework and they've played loads of games like this. And mm. it's yeah, I mean, developers who've spent their lives creating multiplayer games can't launch a multiplayer game without having to balance <laughs> it. So you know, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's got a lot of potential. Um, it'll be, I think I, I think it's going to particularly take off on the Nintendo Switch, where obviously there's that inbuilt Advance Wars mm. audience. But mm, yeah. on PC, I think people really have a, a craving for that kind of cutesy art direction at the moment as well. So it does seem to be big, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. We don't um, even have like a Fire Emblem, which is another similar type of, albeit it's like an, a fantasy RPG with the large squads. Yeah, same developer, right? Yeah, and yeah, so it's it's going to be like. Yeah, there's nothing like that on PC, is there? It's it, yeah, another sort of Stargy Valley situation mm. where there is a, a sort of cutesy pixel version of a beloved Nintendo genre. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's money. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's how you make the cash. I think they're very. They're, it's interesting. So I asked um, Finn Bryce, who's their CEO, about like being commercially minded as a developer, and he said, "Yeah, we are. You mm. know, like, you know, it's it's an important thing to think about as an indie developer." Mm. And he said that. I'm not. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said that like you find in most cases for indie developers who make games that don't take off, they're probably about eighty percent of the way to being a com- like commercially viable and possible commercial success. But hmm. it's just that little bit of crossover that they lack, and that's why not all games you know can do as well. Huh. They seem to be very good at creating hits. Like um, Stardew Valley is not their game; they published that. Yeah. But you know, um, Starbound has been just as successful, and. Um, and you know, Wargroove is getting a great response, and we've been writing about their next game. I've been writing about the next game, which is like a witches and wizard schools RPG, and like the crossover of subject there has really struck a chord with people. Loads of people read those articles. Yeah, so, they did. Yeah, that, so they they clearly know what they're doing, mm. and they know the right buttons to push. Mm. Um, which you know, I, I I think is quite a clever thing to do when you're an indie developer. I yeah. mean, you could call it cynical in some way, I guess, but I think it's like it makes sense. Like you know, you've got to make money you've got to survive that's why that's why you do it um and they and they obviously care about the games as well like they're obviously deeply passionate about it they talk for ages about you know the different ways they thought about how units could counter each other and uh and the different um how the different factions look and and all that sort of thing like every faction has the same units as well um so Mm. the only differentiation is the is the leader Mm. um but that that's good for it i think yeah probably make it easier to balance and i think advanced wars was the same deal so that is wargroove okay then Mm. yeah for a while there have you have you any words to add on that or things to ask me no okay <laughs> then uh, i will move on to the last game that we're going to discuss today which is destiny 2 uh, it's not out on pc no, yet, not. but i know that you guys have been playing the ps4 version so oh, you know, yes. just kind of keen to get your thoughts as like the pc version is not far off now it's the 25th of october is that right yes yeah, yeah like 24th of fifth something like that yeah yes so it's like about about two weeks from now essentially and uh you know i think it's going to be huge on pc just judging by the response to it on the site but um yeah how are yeah. you guys finding the game so far uh i'm really enjoying it i've not done the raid yet but i've done pretty much every other high level challenge and hmm. you know i've maxed out my level i'm almost like a pretty high level now and um i'm really enjoying it it's kind of it's settled into its rhythm because destiny has like a very set like end game rhythm that it's always you know uh it's audience tends to complain about uh, hmm. but uh, <laughs> it's a it's a game that works on a weekly cycle essentially mm. uh once, once you've sort of hit level 20 and you finish the story and you've mopped up like kind of single player stuff it's you know about once a week doing the high level um strike which is like a three-man activity which is called a nightfall and there's like special conditions and they're randomized each week 
Um, and then there's, you know, like a couple of days of high-level PvP modes open that you can uh, find some time to do that. And, I mean, that the the, the powerful loot cycle, these, these things called powerful engrams, which give you the highest-level loot, they work on a weekly cycle, essentially. Do each activity a set amount of times each week. Hmm. Yes, uh, that, yeah, that's... Uh, it's, it's quite a, a nice, light... Uh, kind yeah. of time commitment, uh, yeah. sort of like a weekly system. Like I always played Destiny One, quite enjoyed that uh, the, the way it would set those up. Like it mm. was, it would never take me longer than an hour to do everything that I needed to of a night. You know, if I was really mm. into it at that moment, um, so it's a similar deal, I guess. Um, yeah, I actually really enjoy how Light Touch is as a as a multiplayer game, um, and I think it's going to be very different if you go into it wanting a, a single player game to whether you have a bunch of people you're already gonna you know you're gonna play with and you know you're gonna make some friends and actually do these co-op activities with people mm. like it's such a different game with or without that like it, it, it was much harder to recommend as a single player experience if you're just kind of grinding out engrams on your own but if you're just kind of like oh let's just drop in Phil's online I'm going to drop in with him we're going to do a few challenges for a few hours uh, that is a brilliant game for that it's like one mm. of the best games for creating that light touch just uh, a sense of persistence and progress but also a great kind of glue for you know people to come together for a good reason and have fun shooting aliens for an hour or two a week awesome i decided i'm gonna play it on both i think like i'm gonna have carry on with my titan character on um ps4 mm-hmm. but i want i want a character with a better melee attack in um uh, in the pc version and uh i know that the one of them has like a knife then mm-hmm. one of them has like a force push thing yeah the yeah. thing with the warlocks is like their melee range is absurd yeah. so yeah, that's, yeah that's what you want well that's what I'm going to I'm going to do that then yeah. titans are meant to be the punchy ones but they've just got tiny t-rex arms that can barely <laughs> <laughs> they're not very satisfying punches i don't know what it is but like uh, yeah. so i was reading uh, i don't know why i read this before i started the game i went on reddit and just see and I read a thread about who's got the best melee uh, attack in the game with the three classes <laughs> it's one of the worst ways to pick a class is <laughs> a reddit thread of... <laughs> i'd already picked mm. i'd already thought well this is my character from the first game so there should be some continuity there um but then uh, the yeah the warlock was uh, the resounding winner there for sure although people seem to like the punch at the time i'm like you're wrong it's not a good game punch there are good game punches it's not one of them. it seems melees have been nerfed in destiny too really melee is less certainly in pvp melee is less of a well i don't mind them not being like amazing i just want them to feel good mm. and i don't think the titan's punch quite does it like um the brief time I played as a character, that whatever one carries the knife, that one hunter, yeah, that hunter, that's a that is a better, that's just a better feeling attack. You know, I don't mind if it does like one HP damage as long as it feels good. For <laughs> okay, it. fair it enough. Knocks them back a little bit. Yeah, you probably want lightning uh, warlock because when the lightning warlock punches and he's got his charged up punch, he thrusts both his hands forwards and just palpatines them. Just goes, oh, nice! And it, it has the range of a shotgun, pretty much. It's insane. Mm. That's cool. Uh, yeah, it's well, pretty good. The Titan Super isn't too bad in Destiny Two, like. Um, that's basically just twat, 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 like five twats in a row, essentially. Yeah, that's just uh, <laughs> five twats in a row. <laughs> Name of the podcast, or either that or uh, uh, my little hippo, I guess. Night out at Weatherspoons. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, well, yeah, well. every every class has has their um, five twats uh, <laughs> equivalent. Um, it's like that, yeah. then they're all kind of like chainy abilities as opposed yeah, to. Yeah, so, mm. so you've got a selection with each of them. So your warlock can have like a big nuke where they just throw a big 
or you know purple ball and everything dies. Oh nice. Uh, but they've also got their um, the swords, which is their twat 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 yeah. twat twat move, uh, where they just float in the air and, <laughs> and throw swords at things. It's weird that they went for this decision of having a story where you're kind of like the only one with powers, even though it's <laughs> oh, a god. That's yeah. super broken. In terms, in terms, like there's, uh, every MMO has an element of dissonance to it. Like you just got to mm. deal with that. Um, but Destiny One's kind of Destiny One did put some work into having the occasional justification for its weird mechanical systems mm. like the fact that you just respawn and do challenges over and over and do the same things over and over or whatever there were like deep lore cuts that tried to explain off a couple of these things mm. in Destiny 2 everybody every one of these guardians the, you know the protagonists loses their powers and then about halfway through the campaign, before anyone's got their powers back, the guy in charge of the PvP PvP arena is like, "Do you want to go do some PvP?" And it's like, <laughs> "We're in a situation right now where if I kill another guardian in story, they die forever. There's no respawning or anything. Why are you putting us in an arena?" <laughs> yeah, that's a very interesting and odd choice. It's like, "Oh, you're the last one alive." It's like, "Are you sure?" Because like Phil, Phil and Tom are online. Are you, are you sure? Because I've I've been to the social space and it's just it's dickheads everywhere. It's like, uh, yeah, okay. It's people just throwing themselves off buildings and you know. Mm. I suppose it's not like absolutely like not a big deal at all. No, no, but just no. um, just quite funny, I would say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I look I look forward to playing on PC. You guys gonna. Double class it on PC then. Yeah, definitely. I'm mm. reviewing it, so I better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, <yeah. laughs> um, but I, I, I've got a few worries about it on PC. Um, the latency in PvP is not great on console, mm, okay. uh, and I think it's to the, to the extent that I personally don't mind it that much. Like it's annoying, you know, occasionally in um, the trials mode, which is the really high level PvP mm. where it matters more. Um, but there are noticeable instances where, like, there are a lot of kind of uh, dual kills where you kill each other and you're just like there's no way that could possibly have happened um, you know uh, slightly delayed headshots that kind of stuff just um, the just thing where you escape problems. around a corner but you die anyway because it had already like registered hit, oh, yeah, that's hit tracked funny, yeah. your yeah, yeah. It, it, all of those little things that speak to um, a lack of latency um, mm. if, if the PC version is like that that's not going to be acceptable, acceptable to PC shooter fans like it's just uh, it's not going to get the credibility it deserves as a kind of um, as a PvP thing and uh, PvP is an important part of the game yeah uh, yeah. so we'll see if that and the other thing is hacking like if if uh, if it gets hacked then the game's dead mm, yeah, <laughs> well, they're, they're going to be very aware of that and they're, they're on Battle.net which is Blizzard's uh, kind of infrastructure and hopefully they'll have similar attitude to security that Blizzard has with, with mm. World of Warcraft and other yeah things. I would hope so uh, oh, that would suck so bad wouldn't it um, but yeah, I guess uh, yeah, I'm looking forward. I mean, if nothing else, it will look nice, of course. Oh yeah, it's it looks amazing on PC. Yeah, it does look amazing on PC. The port, the port, as far as I played it, is is t- top, it's, really, really good. It's so good that when I played the opening level, there are some sections where I thought, is this definitely the same level I played when I was at E3? Because mm. it doesn't genuinely doesn't look anywhere near as nice as the PC wow. version. Yeah, it's super crisp, yeah. it's super nice, and 60 frames per second is is brilliant for a shooter like that. Mm. It feels great. Good stuff. Okay, cool. Well, there's all of our games. We're going to move on to a couple of quick reader questions. Um, great to have the podcast back. Question for the uh, panel. I've recently stopped playing World of Warcraft again after a year of enjoyable raiding, questing, and grinding. Suddenly the same, uh, the exact same gameplay seemed pointless and unrewarding. Have you had similar experiences where a game you've enjoyed suddenly stops being fun for no other reason than your own perception? Some deep six. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Phil. Well, no, uh, things like... Um... 
Guild Wars 2, I'm still in the process of reviewing that expansion, so, I hope, so you know, luckily I got over this. But, like, there comes a point, I think, with the MMOs particularly, I had it with Destiny 1 as well, where I become acutely aware of the fact that my activities in the game, in terms of, like, a persistent character thing, in terms of progressing that character, tends to be going out, doing a bunch of stuff, getting a bunch of things, then going back to, like, the social space at the end of the day and melting all of those things down so that a bunch of numbers can go up slightly. Right. It's like, oh, all my all my resource piles have increased a tiny bit. Mm. And that is the combined result of the last two hours of my life. Okay. Um, and then you just tell yourself, I have to walk away from and this. And then, yeah, so, you know. <laughs> hence hence why there were months where I didn't play Guild Wars, etc. And it was just like, oh, I'll just play something that's got, like, a finishing point and... You know, you get to the end of it, and it says you're done now. You don't have to, you, you've achieved a, a one unit of game experience. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. How about you, Tom? Um, I definitely got it with the division, which is a game oh, where yeah. I was desperately hoping to like. And even in spite of the division's weirdness, I mean, it might be a very different game now. I've not played it for ages. Um, I just suddenly just ran into a war with it, and it was just like I just don't want to go into the miserable New York anymore. <laughs> I don't want to go back there anymore and shoot men for ages. I just it's, it's a bit too grim, almost like. Uh, Destiny resists that because I think it, it, it's mm. this big, colourful science fiction universe where it's fundamentally quite silly and um, you're not actually sh- shooting looters in the head mm. with assault rifles. And also, as you point out, like it's also just a good, a good sort of low-level way of having a social yeah. experience with somebody. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's Destiny for me. Mm. I took a year off Destiny, actually, because I, I, because I was a little bit um, like asking myself, can I do I want to keep doing daily challenges? Particularly knowing that the last expansion on PS4 wasn't very good um, relative to mm. the, um, the main game and the mm. expansion that came before. the yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I took a year off and I don't actually regret that. It was quite nice to have not played Destiny for about two years and to just jump in and you know enjoy, enjoy it as it is now. For sure, yeah. Um, although, you know, you also spent a lot of time playing Grand Theft Auto Online. Oh which... God, yeah. <laughs> although I think I might actually have hit a wall with that for now. Mm. Um, I think it's one of those things where I realised that I like to play it for... The expansion. So I'll come back for the next expansion, buy whatever it is I need to do for that, like a submarine hub or whatever they're going to add to the game next time. <laughs> well, they're out. Of, they're out of stuff to do. Yeah, they've done. They've, I guess the boats. Boats is the one they've not done properly. Yeah. There's no boat base. But boats are rubbish in GTA. Yeah. <laughs> um, but all the plane stuff has been quite fun. But like, um, yeah. So I, yeah, I just reached a certain point where I don't know. Um, it, particularly not helped by the fact that loads of other games came out. So. I think you were just kind of, you're kind of a bit less available to play it, which is fair enough. I think. Yeah, um, I, I I mean I did just hit a point of getting annoyed with it as well. I think because I spent all my money on a bunker that was clearly it was like I bought the thing without really researching it because it was like oh we get access to this and this and that's cool. And then I realised wow the only way I can make money out of this is by committing like x number of hours per week to playing this game that I find quite annoying a lot of the time in terms of just getting into a group of people with it because of how bad all the infrastructure stuff is it's got some other problems as well oh it's got many other problems i mean yeah um like i mean the hacking obviously that time we tried to have a ha- an adventure winding some players up and just got hacked in every map we visited and it was just like okay well <laughs> it's like i mean this is ironic but i don't really want to learn this lesson right now that was kind of i felt mm, like we, yeah. we decided to troll people when we were being trolled <laughs> i was like Oh yeah, but you know, it's yeah, just we, we were trying to we were trying to troll people using the in-game available tools, and it turns out that's a very 
sedate way of trolling people in a game where a lot of people can just teleport. <laughs> yeah, or fly cars around. Mm. And that happens in like about half the servers I'm in. So yeah, that, that happened. And then um, it's a shame because um, the uh, Smuggler's Run stuff's a lot better for paying out than the um, gun running stuff. But they both have the same problem of the guys who have you need help to do the missions yeah. but you, they get paid shit to do it um, and they should let you do the whole um, heist thing of splitting the the, uh, the, the amount you make yeah. but they don't do that so you helped me do a very boring delivery mission where we flew these little planes around delivering coke or whatever and very slow gliders yeah. you got paid $7,000 I got paid three dollars uh, $400,000 and that was a good payout for me but I would happily have shared it with you because then there'd be an incentive for hey, us to both do it they've always said GTA's a satire uh, so <laughs> you're the guy at the bottom and i'm the one percent wow <laughs> how incisive uh, by rockstar lols <laughs> um well yeah i guess i guess we all we've all answered that question mm. um okay cool uh question for the pod which games have you finished that were bollock squashingly hard is that common parlance anyway i'm really enjoying cuphead at the moment but it's rather difficult i'd say one of my greatest achievements is navigating a spelunky hell run and finishing the resi hd remaster with chris for the first time uh, as games that stand out in my mind I'd add The Evil Within to this list but after chapter 4 it becomes fairly straightforward which isn't a bad thing I've also managed to do fairly well on Devil Daggers anything over 1 to 10 is apparently pretty decent or so I've heard I don't really know what that means in Devil Daggers but I'm sure it means something that is quite difficult yeah surviving for a minute 10 seconds is difficult okay cool yeah um, sounds so, pretty good yeah, yeah. Uh, what are your greatest achievements uh, finishing games guys what are my greatest achievements <laughs> <laughs> playing Divinity on easy <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I managed to finish Ikaruga, which is um, notoriously quite cool. nice work, Tom. Yeah, this required me to be obsessed with it at university when I had the time to do it, basically. <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't do it now, I wouldn't be able to. It's on PC, isn't it, that one? It is on know, the PC yeah. now, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I remember playing it a few years ago and just being like, wow, I mean, no one past their like, mid-twenties can surely play this do game, this, right? yeah. <laughs> my, my brain is too far gone now, it's, there's no way I can do Ikaruga again. How about you, Phil? I think, um, hmm... Finished games on hard difficulty, that sort of thing? Uh, I did a couple of, you know, I, I finished Splunky and I finished Splunky but getting to the City of Gold, but I never did a hell run because I was just like, I'm not, I, I just, I fell out of love with that game before I got to the point where I could have right, yeah. done the hardest mm. thing in it. Um, a, a, a big thing for me is that I don't, uh, now that I'm an adult and I don't have as much time, I don't really play difficult, uh, hard yeah, difficulties as much. Yeah, thing, like, well, the, there's very few things that I would challenge myself to do that were uh, beyond just finishing the thing. Like I did um, pretty well at Binding of Isaac uh, when I was w really into that, like five years ago or whatever. Mm. Um, but then they kept adding like new expansions and new things, and it was mm. like, oh, okay, now now this is more difficult than I can be bothered with. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that, that's also a problem with DLC is that <laughs> DLC can outpace the level to which you're prepared to <laughs> persist with a <the> thing. <laughs> uh, I've. Uh, for a console example, I finished God Hand, mm. um, which is a notoriously hard yeah, uh, Shinji yeah. Mikami game. Mm. Uh, I finished that on normal and easy. Uh, that's really good. Uh, but again, that comes from a time where I had a lot of spare time on my hands. I, say, I mean, I've, I've completed Sonic 3 and Knuckles with all the Chaos Emeralds. <laughs> that is very hard. And the Hyper Emeralds. <laughs> I could turn into Hypersonic. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I don't like Sonic 3, but we've got to be Sonic 3 and Knuckles film. is the best one. There's two <laughs> types of Supersonic. Wow. And one of them's like reddish pink I did not know that no wonder that fucking fan base is out of control <laughs> <laughs> there's no checks in place we've got two versions of Supersonic why probably fucking bonus tails it's like tails of five tails there was um, yeah there wasn't Supertails yeah. was there yeah oh jeez it gets worse layers and layers 
Um, I've uh, also f- uh, finished uh, Mirror's Edge on hard, which I think is like quite a, a, quite a tough thing to do. You basically, oh, finish it on hard and with no guns, no firing, no guns, and that is hard to do. Mm. Um, I have a strong memory of running around. There's like a server room at the end of to destroy four oh, servers, yeah. but mm. because you can't use guns yeah, to yeah. blow them up, you have to get other people to shoot at them. Um, so I just ran in circles around this massive server hall thing until they were all destroyed, and then killed the guys and. Oh on. yeah, I did. I completed Mirror's Edge without killing anybody. Because they said you could do it. And yeah. I sort of did it, and I regretted it. It's more fun with guns. It's more fun with guns, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, wow, this just it, this accentuates all of my problems with this game, what I'm doing. But I did it anyway for some reason. I see their point about you want to keep momentum or whatever, but mm. it's actually a nice way to punctuate the game, is having a little combat shootout and then carrying on. They're quite big levels, so um, I don't really see a problem with that unless you're a speedrunner. Like... But anyway, yeah, I think, I think that's about it. I mean, I completed Halo on Legendary. That was on consoles, though. I've not played the PC version for apart from multiplayer. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't really do much of that anymore. Um, that's the thing. Tom's like finished it. all the Dark Souls, haven't you, Tom? Uh, have I finished Dark Souls 3? I think I just ran out of steam with that one, actually. Okay. I, which is a surprise. I should go that back and finish that. came out this that. year, didn't it? No, that was uh, last year. That was yeah, last year. Last year. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, well, my perception of time is clearly off. Um, yeah, yeah I've done Bloodborne a few yeah. times. Well, uh, that's, that's not good. bad. That's not bad. So hopefully that answers the question. I think it does. But like, uh, yeah, I won't. I won't probably want to play any hard games ever again now. Mm. Uh, no, that's not true. Um, I, w- I, I, I have always thought about trying to do XCOM and Iron Man, but like, I'm, a, I'm a way off being ready for it. Yeah, I, I would just I get would too angry. Yeah, I would save scum like hell to do it. I mean, I'm sure everyone does, right? Yeah, you'd have to know the game inside out in terms of you know what bullshit could happen to you at any mm. point because like occasionally bullshit does happen in that game yeah you do learn like what square activates an enemy at this point or whatever and that's where yeah. you can get dicked over in yeah exactly yeah. Basically. you'd have to know that stuff inside out before you try to try Iron Man I think mm, okay interesting well uh, thank you very much for listening we'll be back again next week I hope I'm sure we will probably um, yeah will we have games to talk about next week maybe we can talk about Shadow of War next week that's uh, going to be out oh, yeah. maybe Andy will be here for a day next week so we could bring him in yes we'll do that we'll get Andy to talk about Shadow of War whatever yeah. else he's been doing in uh, York he's going to um, Frontier Con this weekend isn't he he is yeah or Expo whatever they call it so that'll be uh, that'll be I'm sure I have things to say off the back of that as well about aliens and such and uh, yes thank you very much for listening if you want to get in touch with us uh, you can tweet us at PC Gamer Pod. you can also uh, drop questions into our Discord channel that's the easiest way for us to see questions but you can also email us at PC Gamer no letters no, at PC letters at PCGamer.com use the subject line podcast cool yeah, for so. the love of God please <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes alternatively um, if you want to tweet me questions you can do that I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter uh, but those are all the ways you can contact us thanks for listening we'll be back next week bye